1: Our nation's capital it's deadline dc with brad bannon welcome to deadline dc with brad
2: bannon i'm brad bannon the host of deadline dc i'm a national democratic strategist a columnist for the messenger in washington dc and a political analyst for news radio station knx in los angeles You can read my columns in the messenger at muckrack.com, that's M-U-C-K-R-A-C-K, muckrack.com, front slash Brad Bannon, front slash articles. My company, Bannon Communications, research polls for progressive issue groups, uh, labor unions, and Democrats. Mondays on Deadline DC, I talk to the people and players behind the politics and policies that drive our great nation forward. Uh, our, exec, our intrepid executive producer, Mark Grimaldi, is on the boards to make sure the, run, the show runs smoothly and to try to get me securely through the rough patches, of which there are many some days. Today on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, we're going to talk about the two big E's in the news. First, uh, first, uh, Bob Deans, uh, director, uh, director of uh, strategic engagement at the natural resources defense council, talks about the firefighters in Maui and other environmental disasters. Then in the second half hour, uh, do- noted economist Dr. Rob Shapiro joins me for a status update on the state of the economy. But before we bring on our first guest, we have this clip from MSNBC uh, where we have the governor of Hawaii, Dr. Josh Green, uh, discussing the disastrous impact of climate change on uh, wildfires in Maui.
0: My reaction, of course, as an emergency room doctor more than as a governor, uh, is that it is almost impossible uh, to know in the throes of the acute part of a crisis Uh, If you did everything that you could, we have in my office asked for a comprehensive review with our attorney general, because we decided to be on this fully transparently right from the start. Uh, But let me share a few things. What was happening was this. It was a fire hurricane. And I want to warn the entire planet about this, all of America and all of the world. We were experiencing very, uh, very dry conditions, drought conditions because of global warming, which is obviously very real for us here and everywhere. In addition to those uh, drought conditions and uh, difficulties with water management because there's just not enough water here in our islands, we then had the penumbra of a hurricane. Hurricane Dora had just passed south of us, leaving 60-mile-per-hour winds still with gusts up to 81 miles per hour. So what happened was when fire jumped from one spot to another, there were three or four fires going on at the same time it got seeded very quickly with those 80 mile per hour gusted winds. And then the fire moved essentially at a a mile uh, per minute, mm. 60 miles an hour down through the community. And that's, that's what a fire hurricane is gonna look in the era of global warming. And so we have to all do right now, right now, what we can to stop global warming and reverse it. Now, as to the sirens, we'll know soon whether or not they did enough to get those sirens going. But there was massive destruction of telecommunications. Otherwise, we ourselves would have communicated with each other like we always do within seconds on our cell phones. And mm-hmm. that's basically what happened. But we'll make sure we get to all the answers that people deserve I've also authorized the dual, stat, uh, dual status command center with the, with the president and the joint chief. So now we have a lot of military presence to protect the area also right. and let people we'll do the investigation.
2: That was a governor, Hawaii governor, Dr. Josh Green, who's also an emergency room uh, physician, talking about the devastating firefighters uh, in Hawaii and Maui over the weekend. Our guest in this half hour is Bob Deans, director of strategic engagement for the Natural Resources Defense Council. The the National Resources Defense Council combines the power of more than 3 million members and online activists with the expertise of some 700 scientists, lawyers, and policy advocates across the globe to ensure the rights of all people to the air, water, and wild. The website for NRDC is nrdc.org, and their Twitter handle is also NRDC. Bob's also the author of the uh, 2012 book, Reckless, uh, The Political Assault on the American Environment, which I'm sure you can find online at uh, Amazon or one of those sites. Bob, welcome back to Deadline DC. Thanks, Brad. Great to be with you. Uh Let's start with the uh, wildfires in Maui uh, and as a way of introducing the topic of the disastrous consequences of climate change.
3: Sure. I mean, I think first, and I, I know I echo your thoughts here, our our hearts go out to the, the people of Lahaina, the people of Maui, the people all across the great state of Hawaii. This has just been a devastating tragedy. The deadliest wildfire in our country in well over a century brad and so uh if people who are listening want to chip in somehow there's a organization called maui strong you can look up and they're getting uh, real relief right on the ground uh to people just beginning what's going to be a long and difficult recovery process there in maui um This unfortunately is the face of climate change. Many factors involved. Nobody is claiming that climate change is the reason for what happened. But there is no doubt that Hawaii has been experiencing warmer, drier weather in recent decades. We know that warmer, drier weather creates the conditions for making wildfires, when they occur, more devastating, more difficult to to put out, and just very much more lethal. So in this case, we don't yet know what started the fire. Um, 99% of the fires in Hawaii, or wildfires in Hawaii, are started from man-made causes as similar to much of the rest of the country. Um, But whatever caused it, you have a situation where in Hawaii, since 1950, average temperatures have increased by two degrees Fahrenheit. That's a lot. It's a little bit faster than global warming has happened uh, more broadly. We also know that just since 1990, Hawaii is getting 31% less rain during that critical rainy winter. Um, And also in this year, particularly about a third, a little more than a third of Maui is experiencing actual drought brad to where they're getting a little more than half as much rain in june and july as they normally would in what is already a dry season and this is what happens you get thinner cloud cover the canopy from forests from trees thins out as a result of that the soil gets drier and then the vegetation gets drier and particularly uh, these grasses outside of lahaina Uh, were fueled, just waiting to virtually explode when this wildfire this fire hurricane as the governor called it came ripping through at uh, speeds of moving more than 60 miles per hour it overwhelmed the community it overwhelmed individuals capacity to in many tragic cases even escape with their lives some people who did escape were forced to flee into the the pacific ocean uh, This is a horrific tragedy, and what we're learning about it are three things. Number one, this is a global climate crisis. The impacts are global. Every single community is at risk. Number two, these disasters are happening at a pace and at a scale that is beginning to overwhelm our capacity to cope with them at a local and sometimes even national governmental level. And number three, we have got to accelerate all efforts to both reduce the amount of fossil fuels we're burning that are driving this crisis, adapt to the uh, disasters that are already baked into the system and help help our communities to deal with the recovery, the loss, the damage from this kind of devastation, Brad.
2: Okay. Uh, we're going to uh, go take a short break, uh, at least for our radio listeners. Uh, we're going to stay on uh, line with our guest, uh, Bob Deans, from the Natural Resources Defense Council. And we'll bring in our radio listeners in a few minutes, uh, back in a few minutes, uh, until then, uh, we are now doing Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour uh, is Bob Deans from the Natural Resources Defense Council. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour is Bob Deans, who is uh Director of Strategic Engagement for the Natural Resources Defense Council. Uh, We've been talking about the heat that has developed the world this summer. Uh, We're very, very all too close to deadly uh, heat limits. Uh, And I want to remind our radio listeners that if you want to watch us as well as listen to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, you can watch us for at least a couple of ways you can watch us. You can watch us uh, live or the podcast anytime at twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon, or you can watch on facebook.com front slash Deadline DC with Brad Bannon front slash videos. Uh, now, back to our guest, Bob Deans from the Natural Resources Defense Council. Uh, Bob, uh, in the previous segment, we were talking about the record heat that's, uh, you know, afflicted the whole world, uh, the United Southern, the United States, Europe, um, Asia, Africa. Um, and uh, I read something that I think was posted on the NRDC website that... Uh, already this summer 147 people have died in Arizona uh, directly attributable to the heat. It's astounding um, and tragic.
3: Arizona, Texas, Florida, we've had people working on the job trying to make a living and dying from this oppressive heat. Um, it, It of course can cause heat strokes, can cause heart attacks, it can exacerbate existing respiratory ailments, and it's particularly dangerous for older folks, um, children, and people who have to work outside for a living, agricultural workers, construction workers, road workers, and others. And so um, one thing we've seen this summer is President Biden accelerating efforts to get a rule in place nationally uh, by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration to protect workers from this kind of heat. Um, Also, we're seeing moves in Congress uh, for some legislation to provide assistance, this assistance is long overdue. Um, what what the uh, co- what Congress is looking to do is to do a better job of coordinating among federal agencies and coordinate a national system of heat advisory. Number two, to provide more uh, focused research on the dangers of working in in extreme heat. And number three, to provide resources for communities and uh, worker organizations to help them cope with the consequences of this kind of extreme heat. We're going to need more of this, Brad, not less, as temperatures continue
2: to rise. You know, I seem to remember recently reading that uh, the state government in Texas had uh, pulled back uh, on, uh, warnings for people working outside in the state during the summer. And, you know, it makes, you know, it makes me wonder sometimes that gets to a bigger question. And my bigger question is I want every night when I watch the uh, network news, uh, they pretty much start off with a, weather disaster, pretty, pretty much every night this summer unless. Uh, former President Trump gets indicted again, and that usually leads. But if he doesn't doesn't get indicted that day, it's usually a weather disaster that leads off. And you know, i I saw an article that the president of NRTC, Menesh uh, Manish Buchner, uh Buchner read, wrote, and he says it's time for resolve, not depressing, and not depression about what's going on. And the problem is I get depressed every night when I'm watching the network news and they talk about firefighters in Maui um, or flooding somewhere else or tornadoes in the Mid-South or, you know, smog from uh, Canadian fires uh, shrouding D.C. and uh, New York. you know, is there enough resolve in the nation to do something about this? Because every night when I see these news stories, I think, you know, is, are people just going to let this go on? Is anybody learning a lesson from this? Yeah, it's a great question. And I
3: think where we're, uh, Manish really wanted to weigh in on this, because as the father of two children, uh, he has to answer some tough questions at home from them. And um, one of the things that he feels very strongly about is that despair is not a, uh, while it may be a, a, a natural response to the overwhelming um, train of climate disasters confronting us right now, um, it is not the constructive way forward, and we can't sink into despair. That's closely akin to surrender, and that is something he will not do. And where he draws um, his resolve is thinking that we absolutely must uh confront this crisis every way we know how, and there are there is a scientific path forward. In other words, the science tells us we can hold warming to 1.5 degrees centigrade, which is a horrific amount of warming, but it is a manageable amount of warming. We can do it. Number two, economics. This is the economic play of our lifetime. Globally, this year, Brad, Investors will put up $1.7 trillion to help us become more efficient, so we do more with less waste, to help us get more clean power from the wind and the sun, to help us build electric vehicles and advanced batteries. That's important. And finally, real momentum. We're actually changing, we're actually shifting, and we're shifting faster than anyone believed. Right here in this country, Brad, Wednesday the 16th will mark one year since President Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act. In that year alone, we've invested more than $84 billion to build domestic factories that are going to make solar panels, wind turbines, electric vehicles, advanced batteries, and the like. More than $84 billion, creating more than 74,000 good-paying jobs in places like Ohio, Georgia, Michigan, South Carolina, Kansas, all across the country. And so this kind of momentum is something to build on. And here's what we know. When you combine this kind of investment in clean energy with the rules that the Biden administration is putting in place to clean up our cars, trucks, and dirty power plants, we have positioned the country, we're on track to cut the carbon pollution and other greenhouse gases driving the climate crisis by 45% by 2030, 45% reduction by 2030 compared to the 2005 levels. That's within striking distance of the goal the president said of 50 to 52% reductions by that time. We can get there, Brad. We need to keep moving forward
2: and build on the progress we're making. Okay, we only have about 30 seconds left. I'm gonna ask you, today there was a court ruling in Montana that said that essentially Montanans have a constitutional right uh, to a clean environment. Uh, Your thoughts quickly?
3: Well, very quickly, we'll wait We'll wait to see the legal implications of this. That will be shaking out, but this is very important ruling. And what it is saying is a, a constitutional right to the next generation to inherit a livable world. That's what we got from our forefathers. That's what we got from our ancestors. That's what we must deliver to our children. And what we've been talking about right now is the way to do it. A very important decision. The court's on the right side of history. We look forward to seeing how it plays out.
2: Bob, thank you very much for joining us today. Our guest was Bob Deans, Director of Strategic Engagement at the Natural Resources uh, Defense Council. Our guest in the next segment will be noted economist, Dr. Robert Shapiro. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, Today in the second half hour, we're going to talk about the economy. After talking about the other Big E in the first half hour, The environment. Uh, We're going to start off with this clip. Uh, from Jim Tankersley, covers uh, economics in the New York Times, talking about improvements in economy.
1: We're seeing a bunch of things that are encouraging. The first is on growth. The economy keeps growing and adding jobs faster than economists predicted. So in the second quarter of this year, the economy expanded at a 2.4% annual rate. That was way better than most economists thought it would be. At the same time, the job market just continues to churn on month after month. We are seeing hundreds of thousands of jobs being added to the economy, despite the fact that forecasters keep waiting for that to slow down. Despite the fact that President Biden himself has been waiting for that to slow down, it is slowing down, but very gradually. And that growth, the combination of job growth and economic growth, is really powering the economy forward. At the same time, and I think this is the most encouraging thing to people who are out shopping right now, or if you're the president, to his advisors, is the fact that inflation is coming down. A year ago, we had like 7% annual inflation by one measure, and now it's 3%. This is way better than I think a lot of economists thought we could pull off with those continued growth rates that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And one more really important thing, really great sign for the economy, is that people's standard of living is starting to improve in a way that it hadn't at the first couple of years of the Biden presidency. Hourly wages rose faster than prices did in the spring for the first time in two years, which just means people have more money to spend. Their incomes are actually going up, even in inflation adjusted terms. That's really good news. And and that's the sort of thing that the president's team has been looking for for a long time.
2: That was Jim Tankersley uh, from The New York Times talking about the improvements in the economy uh, since Joe Biden's been president. The economy is back. And it's well past time for the president to start spreading the news about the Biden boom. Since the president inherited the crumbling economy that his predecessor left behind, he has recovered the 10 million jobs that disappeared under Trump and added more than 3 million more. The president's deft handling of the economic recovery is based on his ability to convince the closely divided Congress to pass a significant law, uh, significant laws such as the American Recovery Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, and the Bipartisan Infrastructure and Chips Act that contributed to the economic boom. By, By the way, tomorrow is the first anniversary of the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, the president and his administration tried to tout his economic success story before the midterm elections last year. But the initiative failed uh, And uh, to move his economic approval rating. The administration has just launched a new campaign to sell its economic successes to the public. Uh, it is a propitious time to try again. Legislative successes in 2021 and 2022 have flowered into impact on the financial, health, and well-being of working families. When the president reminded Americans of the recovery last year, job growth was high, but runaway inflation made it uh, difficult to make the sale. Now the audience will be more receptive after 30 straight months of job growth and a sharp decline in the inflation rate. By the way, that's from one of my columns in the Messenger. If you'd like to read all my columns in the Messenger, you can read them uh, at muckrack.com front slash Brad Bannon front slash articles. Our guest in this half hour is our economic, our own economic policy resource, Dr. Robert Shapiro, chairman of Sonicon uh, and an economic advisory firm and a senior fellow at the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University. He is an internationally known economist who has advised several prominent Democrats on economic policy. He was Undersecretary of Commerce for Economic Affairs in the Clinton administration. Uh, Dr. Shapiro's Twitter handle is uh, Rob Shapiro. Welcome back to Deadline DC, uh, Dr. Shapiro. Always a pleasure to have you. Always a pleasure to be here, Brad. Okay, well, let's uh, start with this. Uh, you heard the clip from uh, Jim Tankersley from the New York Times uh talks about the uh growing uh job growth and the decline of the inflation rate so my question to you is what is the status of the economy right now
4: well the status of the economy i'd say is sound it's particularly sound because we've come through a period of really almost unprecedented shocks to the economy Um, We closed the entire economy down for about a month um, in 2020. We lost um, over 10 million jobs in a very short period of time. Actually, we lost 18 million jobs in a short time and then recovered some of them fairly quickly. And then, as you said, the last 10 million were recovered um, under uh, President Biden. And then we had an inflationary shock. Uh, we had an this this came primarily from problems in supply chains that were caused by the pandemic, which, after all, was happening everywhere in the world. It was closing down ports, closing down production. Um, it also came from OPEC policy, which decided to raise energy energy prices. Uh, which was then compounded by Putin's war. Um, And because um, uh, Ukraine is a major exporter of natural gas. Uh, And so you had these shocks and then you also had the large stimulus from the administration, uh, which was necessary, necessary because so many Americans were frightened by the pandemic And the prospects and uncertain about what the next stage would be, that they started saving at much higher rates. So we needed to push more money into the economy to offset that sharp drop in spending from higher savings. Uh, Well, um, it turns out that inflation is down because the bottlenecks have been resolved the energy prices have eased down, not because OPEC changed or Putin changed, but because China is in its first modern recession. Uh, And China is an enormous uh, source of demand for energy. It produces almost, it has no oil and no natural gas, got a lot of coal, but that's not enough. Um, And uh, so the inflation is coming down. It's not gone because there is still a lot of demand in the economy, and that comes from the from every month, uh, bringing hundreds of thousands of new people on jobs, getting paychecks, and because paychecks have been rising, in particular, in the bottom half of the labor force, and those are people. Who spend virtually everything they earn, um, uh, as opposed to high-income people who save some, and that means that you know demand is uh, has has been rising relatively quickly. So you get some inflation, but the direction of inflation has been correct uh, and, uh, uh, and encouraging, and. <laughs> I have to say something I predicted a year ago.
2: (laughs) Okay, well, that's good. That's why we have you on the show is because (laughs) your ability to see into the future. Uh, Let me uh, ask you uh, uh, this question. Uh, First of all, uh, earlier in the year, uh, there were a lot of economists uh, who thought we were going to uh, hit a recession uh, mm-hmm. before the presidential election last, uh, mm-hmm. uh, last year. Uh, is the danger of a recession before the election, which would be a real problem for the Biden administration uh, and his re-election campaign, uh, what is the likelihood of a recession after you know th- so much growth?
4: Um the likelihood of a recession unless the Federal Reserve comes back with several more uh, interest rate increases. Um, the like, the, you cannot have a recession when you have a fast expanding labor market. Uh, and we continue to see this. Um, and so I think the likelihood of a recession this year, which a lot of economists were predicting, is virtually zero. Um, if we, if inflation were to heat up again for reasons that we can't predict right now, uh, for some some outside event, um, the Federal Reserve would put in place two or maybe three more interest rate hikes, and that could bring us close to a recession. Okay. I'm,
2: I'm gonna I'm okay, I'm going to have to stop. Okay, I'm going to have to stop you there. Uh, we're going to take a short break for our radio listeners, uh, but Bob, uh, but uh, Dr. Shapiro and I are going to keep going. Our video audience on Twitter and Facebook is going to keep going, but we're going to give a short uh, four-minute break to our radio listeners. But we'll come back to you. Don't despair.
4: I see you.
2: Welcome back to Headline. Our guest in this half hour is Dr. Robert Shapiro, the noted economist and the chairman of an economic advisory firm, Sonicon. Uh, by the way, uh, note to our radio listeners, uh, if you'd like to see us uh, as well as listen to us, uh, you can do that on Twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon or on Facebook.com front slash Deadline DC with Brad Bannon front slash videos. Uh, you can do this as well uh, as, in, uh, as Hear Us, and you don't have to uh, – uh, uh, anyway, but that's what I do if I was – radio listener. Um, Anyway, our guest is Dr. Robert Shapiro, noted economist and chairman of the economic advisory firm Sonicon. Uh, Let me ask you about uh, this, Rob. Uh, Mm -hmm. You recently uh, wrote an article um, about uh, Ron DeSantis and his so-called economic policy. And, you know, I'd like you to talk about it, but when I uh, read your article, I thought to myself, gee, did they throw that together without checking uh, uh, the Biden economic stats? Uh, Anyway, go ahead and why don't you talk about your article about Ron DeSantis?
4: Well, the the remarkable thing about the DeSantis so-called economic declaration was that everything he cited as his goals were things that the Biden administration has already achieved. He said he wanted to have 3% annual growth. Well, in the first two years of the Biden administration, real GDP is grown at an average of 4%. That's more than 50% greater than the average in Trump's first two years. He wanted a fair labor market by securing the border. Well. As, as you've mentioned, we've had historic employment gains. And as to the border and its putative impact on jobs, Biden, in fact, has been more aggressive than Trump was. The annual enforcement actions at the border averaged almost 1.2 million cases a year in 2021 and 2022, as, as opposed to Trump. Uh, who averaged 750,000 in 2017 and 2018. And finally, you know, the Republicans always say we need to um, unleash American energy independence. Well, that's an aspiration that Biden has already has also achieved. In 21 and 22, uh, our U.S energy production, Outpaced U.S. energy consumption by an average of one and a half percent, as opposed to Trump's first two years, when energy consumption outstripped domestic production by almost nine percent. Um, we're exporting energy now, not importing energy now. So you know, um, you know, I think that. Um, One of the things that the DeSantis program demonstrates is that having a bachelor's degree from Yale and a law degree from Harvard doesn't mean you understand the economy,
2: (laughs) at least not if you're the governor of Florida. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, when I read your article, you know, it seemed to me this is a this is simply the. DeSantis' so-called economic plan is symptomatic of his campaign. Everything about it, starting with the, uh, I was going to say liftoff on Twitter, but it didn't lift off very well, uh, is, is sloppy. Uh, you would think, even if the uh, governor didn't know much about economics, that he'd hire someone who did uh, to write his uh, campaign uh, document on the economy. And it just seems, yeah, it just seemed uh, like a pretty sorry effort, like the rest of his campaign. Um, You know, he started out in the polls when he got into the race in the low 30s against Trump. Now he's down to like 19 or 18 percent in the national polls. And it's definitely uh, going in the wrong direction. It just seemed to me very his. His work, uh, his plan was very sloppy and you did a very good job exposing it. And I also think uh, that if anybody wants to read uh, uh, Dr. Shapiro's uh, article on the DeSantis plan, they should go to the Sonicon website, which is S-O-N-E-C-O-N dot com uh, and read uh, Rob's article for yourself. Uh, one last thing I'd like to ask you about, uh, the, uh, new initiative by the Biden administration, uh, is falls under the rubric Bidenomics, which is obviously a play on the old Reaganomics term. And when I first. And on Clintonomics. Uh, yeah, yeah right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, it is. When I first saw the term Bidenomics, I said, oh, boy, that reminded me of Reaganomics, which was an ugly disaster, you have pointed out. Uh, why, Biden- why call it Bidenomics? Is that a good idea? Does that reflect what's going on? Or is that a, you know, harken bad t- back to a very bad memory?
4: No, I think, it, um, I think it's actually uh, earned that the, um, the pace of growth, the enormous job creation, uh, we also have, you know, investment has been growing 50% faster than under Trump in his first two years. Um, this is a result of uh, the American Rescue Plan which has helped drive growth and employment. And uh, the CHIPS Act and the and the Inflation Reduction Act, the Inflation Reduction Act has stimulated enormous investment in alternative energies, which is one of the reasons that um, we're now an energy exporter instead of an importer. Um, and um, the CHIPS Act has uh, led to really a boom in, um, uh, investment in new factories. Uh, this is a, a success story that he can claim a lot of credit for. Now, always, the economy is a huge machine. And the reason that he could have these positive effects is that the fundamentals of the US economy are strong. They've been strong for 80 years, <laughs> and they're still strong. And, um, you know, that's uh, one of the reasons, that's the material reason it's such a blessing to be an American.
2: Uh, tomorrow, as uh, I said, is the first anniversary of the signing of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. How do you plan on celebrating?
4: <laughs> well, um, I'll raise a glass to the White House.
2: Oh, okay. Okay. Well, one thing I want to ask you, uh, you know, one of the pernicious effects of Reaganomics uh, was it uh, generated income at the top of the income level, but was rather devastating uh, to uh, middle-class working families. Could you talk, you know, one thing you mentioned uh, earlier in the segment is that this uh, recovery uh, has helped people at the bottom of the economic ladder. Could you talk about that a little bit, please?
4: Absolutely, you know, um, the last time that we saw wages and incomes of the bottom half of Americans increase faster than wages and incomes for the top half or even the top 20% was the Clinton years. (laughs) And we saw a deep reversal of that under Bush. Um, I think Obama tried to made it a little better, but the fact is, you know, he was dealing with trying to clean up the collapse of the economy under Bush uh, in 2008. Um, uh, It didn't happen under Trump and it is happening now. And one of the reasons, I'll tell you the reason. The reason is that if you can if you can sustain growth at around four percent or less, I I mean, or um, uh, at three percent or greater, um, if you can sustain that, um, you pull into the labor market uh, people at the bottom. Um, and in addition, you know, labor is in a new era in which they have been able to effectively challenge uh, a lot of our big biggest corporations. And uh, the result is that, you know, it, if you want workers, you're going to have to pay them more and uh, in a strong economy.
2: I think we should all raise a glass tomorrow to celebrate the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, Rob, thanks very much for joining us again. Our guest in this half hour was the noted economist, Dr. Robert Shapiro. I want to thank all our guests, including Rob uh, and Bob Deans, Director of Strategic Engagement for the Natural Resources Defense Council, and our Cracker Executive Producer, Mark Grimaldi. We'll be back soon if the creek if the Lord is willing and the creek don't rise.